Hello, and welcome to the Marvel Cinema Podcast, at home for positive fan culture. I hear they talk all about all things nerdy. I'm your co-host, Henry. I'm your other co-host, Matthew. And this week on the show, we'll be discussing the year, I guess. <laughs> um, <laughs> this is the whole year. Everything that happens, all the things. Um, as in... As in a unit of measurement, it'll be a full-on discussion about the metric system. And yeah. We've yeah. transferred universities to now studying science and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we're changing the, the formula a bit here. Um, but no, we're doing, we're doing like a, a kind of a favourite of the year, I guess. Uh, both mm-hmm. TV and yeah. movies. Because it's been a pretty good year, I would say. Um, mm. It's been kind of, a, kind of a great one, I would say, in terms of just movies and TV shows. Um, so yeah, I'm looking forward to getting into it, but of course before that we have mm-hmm. the news, which, uh, oh yeah, it's only been one week since the last episode, so a bit less I, I would think <laughs> than last well, week. Well, um, I don't know if your wish has been granted or denied with, with the Oh, oh, there's um, more news. It's basically, this is, this is last week's news part two, basically. Alright. <laughs> um... I've just, I've just I just read like the script I've got for my news and the kind of mm. the title reads more DC Fallout. Now, it, despite the fact I only wrote this about an hour ago, I read the word Fallout and, and thought, "Oh, it's Fallout TV series news." <laughs> right. And then I realised, no. <laughs> no, no, you wrote it yourself, you idiot. <laughs> so it's about the entire industry. <laughs> <laughs> so now. It is it is DC related this right uh, once again. Uh, okay, um, I'm I'm cautious about whatever is going to come from this, <laughs> but yeah. Before that, just let you know that we do have Instagram account at Marvelous and a podcast. Uh, I guess at the moment we're just kind of doing well. We're doing Avatar, of course, in terms of reviews. Uh, so go there, check out our written reviews on that film, and might get a little discussion here about it as well. Um, but also we have little rankings, some Christmas movie mm-hmm. reviews coming out, and obviously these, these podcasts. So yeah, give us a follow and a like over there if you want to. Uh, but yeah, do you want to, I don't know, do you want to start with the DC News or do you want to build up to it? I think we'll start with it. We, okay. we'll, 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 we'll go straight into it. <laughs> right. So, following on from the, I don't know what else to call it other than carnage of last <laughs> week. Yeah. Um, James Gunn has confirmed on Twitter that Henry Cavill will not return as Superman. Uh, in a right. move that makes him a braver man than me, <laughs> his tweets, um, his Twitter thread, thread read as follows: uh, Peter and I, meaning Peter Safran, have a DC slate ready to go, which we couldn't be more over the moon about. We'll be able to share some exciting information about our first projects at the beginning of the new year. Among those on the slate is Superman. In the initial stages, our story will be focusing on an earlier part of Superman's life, so the character will not be played by Henry Cavill. But we have... But, but, uh, sorry. We just had a great meeting with Henry, and we're big fans, and we talked about a number of exciting possibilities to work together in the future. Mm. Uh, moving on with this, uh, he was, I answered a few questions. The first of which was, uh, being part of the slate, I assume it's a movie. He said, yes, it is. He was asked if he was writing directing. He confirmed he is writing it and has been for a while, but he doesn't know who's directing it yet. Um, He also said it's not an origin story when asked. Mm -hmm. And he was also asked, could Ben Affleck direct? And apparently James Gunn responded by saying he met with Ben yesterday, 
precisely because he wants to direct and we want him to direct. We just have to find the right project. Mm. Right. Um, slightly separately, Henry Cavill did release a statement on Instagram. Mm-hmm. His statement reads as, uh, I have just had a meeting with James Gunn and Peter Safra, and it's sad news, everyone. I will, after all, not be returning as Superman. After being told by the studio to announce my return back in October, prior to their hire, this news wasn't the easiest, but that's life. The changing of the guard is something that happens. I respect that. James and Peter have a universe to build. I wish them and all involved with the new universe the best of luck and the happiest of fortunes. For those who have been by my side through the years, we can mourn for a bit, but then we must remember Superman is still around. Everything he stands for still exists, and the example he sets for us are still there. My turn to wear the cape has passed, but what Superman stands for never will. It's been a fun ride with you all, onwards and upwards. Hmm. Right, well. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's only been like this past month that we've really had him back, I guess, in terms of like yeah. he's going to come back at some point. So it's, 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 it's just a weird thing, because... I can't imagine what he's going through of all this because he clearly loves that character so much, mm. and to have it sort of be given back to him, but then a month, like like literally a month later, like ripped away from him, it must be like yeah. heartbreaking in so many ways, and like it's brutal. <sighs> yeah, it's brutal, and so close to Christmas as well. <laughs> I know as like, well. <laughs> <laughs> like, what I a just, Christmas! I do appreciate though the. I think overall, what I'm kind of most pleased with all, with all this is the clarity on it. Um, mm-hmm. I think previous to James Gunn being hired and actually running the show now, DC has been so unclear and not seeing what they're doing until the last moment, and then by that point they've already changed their minds. Um, mm. So it's been so confusing. and I do at least appreciate that James Gunn is literally in communication with us as an audience, and so is Henry Cavill, which I appreciate because it must not have been an easy message mm. to write. And to be that humble about it, um, yeah. I'm tr- I think I think what I'm trying to do with it with all this DC news is to stay level headed in the sense that mm-hmm. I'm I am upset that Henry Cavill's not coming back because I think he's great and a bit hard done by by having a trilogy where he's not necessarily the the main character in all films, um, mm-hmm. and I think it's just yeah it's just a massive shame because like, he could have been great if given a proper fourth film I guess um, or a minor sequel too I guess mm-hmm. and but in terms of level of I think it's more like you have to have a good reason to do it like the plan that James Gunn has it must be pretty solid and pretty good and his script must be pretty you know clear on what the Superman has to be and it can't be Henry mm-hmm. Cavill at, at this time so <laughs> I just I get that it's for a reason eventually and that in years to come we'll go oh we get it and it's a shame but and I, I'm already surprised, honestly, if Henry Cavill comes back at some point in some sort of multiverse thing, really. Mm. Um, so I don't think it'll be his last time in that costume, but it's just a shame he's not going to get that sequel, because I've been hoping for it for like 10 years. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's a, a real shame, and I think reading that message is really quite heartbreaking. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think that, that, that's kind of the worst part, I think. Just mm. to know that... It, if it had just come about where they'd said, you know, he he definitely won't be back, then, you know, it had been a bit hard to take, I suppose. But just yeah. to have him be confirmed and then not be confirmed, it's just a bit... It is brutal. But I do agree with you. I think... I think 
above everything, I think the thing to kind of credit the people involved with is just the clarity and the honesty of it. Mm. And I don't think don't really necessarily anyone. Often. No, no, I agree. Um, you know, if, if not to, I'm not taking aim at like Lucasfilm or anything. I don't mean to criticize them or openly criticize them in an aggressive way. But if you look at the way kind of directors have departed those projects and we've not really heard about it and there's been a bit of confusion, yeah. it kind of makes a bit of a stark comparison. And and like you said, it's you know, it's not an easy decision for James Gunn to make because you know he wants to make his universe, and in order to do that, you know he's making the hard decisions. Yeah. Um, I think it's yeah, it's a move that. You know, if he didn't have to do it, he wouldn't do it. Is my kind yeah. of takeaway, because um, it's somewhat vocal, both in a toxic way, but also just in a compassionate way, kind mm. of vocal people that want him back, um, and it's yeah, it's a matter of shame, I think, and I think, I do in this way because I agree with the, I think I always have for a while now. I've agreed with the, the idea of what needs to happen at this point, which is a, a clean slate, really, mm. a, yeah. a clear from the, now on. We're in the James Gunn universe, and this is how DC works, I guess. The same way with mm-hmm. Kevin Feige, Marvel Studios, and all that. I think it. We need a clean slate now because it's, it's so, confusing. Every time a DC film comes out, and you're just wondering yeah. how does this fit into, Man of Steel? Like, because, Man of Steel is such a, a tonal like Zack Snyder film, and such so a a grounded, a very grounded and kind of murky universe where nothing supernatural ever happens and Superman's the first thing in the world to be that sort of thing and Mm -hmm. I think when you get to like Black Adam or even a film that I like quite a lot even like the sort of weird sort of logic gaps with Wonder Woman Wonder Woman 84 where it's kind of like sort of in the 80s something very very weird and supernatural happened worldwide Mm -hmm. and yet nothing's been mentioned about that ever since and Man of Steel's kind of treated as the first supernatural event in that universe um, mm-hmm. it's all just a bit kind of it's House of Cards as a falling apart slowly and it's it's kind of it was always kind of worrying but you kind of I always took it as take each project on its own um, which is where you get great films like The Batman from Matt Reeves that feels like it's own separate thing and it totally works and you don't have to worry about whatever's happening and even Joker a film that we have different like kind of well I think I have more of a, a middling opinion of it now but even that like because it, it's so separate it works much better I would say than an Aquaman 2 where you're wondering how does this fit in anymore like this is so tonally mm-hmm. not Justice League or anything like that um, <laughs> the how does this fit in really <laughs> um, mm-hmm. so I think going forward it, it will be great to see yeah clean slate even if it comes at the cost of just like, yeah, a really unfortunate situation, I think, with Henry Cavill being at the centre of it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, we do have a bit more clarification on more of the sort of changes that are involved in this cleaning of the slate. Um, mm. On Wonder Woman, we have a comment or a, a statement on Twitter from Patty Jenkins. I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's quite a long one. Yeah. Um, it's about her departure and it does paint a slightly different picture of what, to what we've been previously told and it does I feature like this a, might be a bit more aggressive <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, not, it's not actually that aggressive okay. <laughs> but, um, it does actually have a little bit of good news in there depending on, uh, on how oh, you look right. at it okay. 
But basically, I read this, the first bit, and it says, Sigh, I'm not one to talk about private career matters, but I will not allow inaccuracies to continue. Here are the facts. I originally left Rogue Squadron after a long and productive development process when it became clear I could, it couldn't happen soon enough and I did not want to delay Wonder Woman 3 any further. When I did, Lucasfilm asked me to consider coming back to Rogue Squadron after Wonder Woman 3, which I was honoured to do, so I agreed. They made a new deal with me. In fact, I am still on it and that project has been in active development ever since. Oh. I don't know if it will happen or not. We never do until the development process is complete, but I look forward to its potential. She then says, when there started being backlash about Wonder Woman 3 not happening, the attractive clickbait false stories that it was me that killed it or walked away started to spread. This is simply not true. I never walked away. I was open to considering anything asked of me. It was my understanding that there was nothing I could do to move forward move anything forward at this time. DC is obviously brilliant changes they are having to make, so I understand these decisions are difficult right now. Uh, I do not want to want what has been a beautiful journey with Wonder Woman to land on a negative note. I have loved and been so honoured to be the person who got to make the last two Wonder Woman films. She's an incredible character. Living in and around her values makes one a better person every day. I wish her and her legacy a an amazing future ahead, with or without me. She then goes on to pay credit to Linda Carter and Gal Goddard. Um, and like saying thank you to the fans and that kind of thing. Uh, but that's basically her statement on it. Okay, right. Well, hopefully that's not... Cause, yeah, because last time I heard was the the apparently, well, now apparently false kind of... Yeah. She walked out because they didn't like her script and stuff like that. Um, mm. Yeah, so I think I was expecting a bit more of a... Uh, I get it, but DC need to get their stuff sorted <laughs> sort of thing. Yeah. But, yeah, it's nice to hear that it's not quite that level of aggressive or anything like that. And I'm sure the same thing with Harry Cavill, really, like, the same sort of vibe of, like, I'm sure like they're mm. heartbroken. Um, yeah. Because I think with the last two Wonder Woman films, it, it kind of ranks up there for me with that. In terms of this, it would feel like creative vision. I think about that mm. Wonder Woman character and I think about them as if they were, I call them like Patty Jenkins Wonder Woman sort of thing. Mm. Um, the same way you call like Nolan's Batman. Yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, I, I can't. It's very difficult to imagine that character without that director or writer. Um, or actress maybe I don't know I don't it's just kind of yeah it's a bit concerning and weird but I'm sure I'm sure it'll be under like you know a good leadership at, eventually mm. um, yeah um, I think it's a waiting game isn't it with DC it is um, another kind of bit of news again a Hollywood reporter coming in wading in um, the same people that reported the news initially um, they have also broken the news while all this has been going on that Gal Gadot's Wonder Woman cameo has been cut from the Flash film, as has Henry Cavill's, which does mean that Gal Gadot, despite kind of her comments expressing its enthusiasm for still continuing, um, it mm. does look likely that Wonder Woman will also be recast. Right. Which isn't okay. a complete surprise, I don't think. No, I think it. Yeah, like I, I think said, that was kind of a clean break. Yeah. Yeah, the kind of clean break just implies that everything's in, in the bin. In, in <laughs> yeah. um, kind of everything's in the bin. And again, I, I kind of, yeah, I can't help but think James Gunn is a smart enough guy to realise that even though he's, we're saying goodbye now for probably quite a while mm. to these characters and these versions of the characters, I I definitely see him having plans in the future, even if it's in 10 years' time, where they all have some sort of 
role to play mm. in a crisis of an infinite uh, sort of thing. Um, that is just no way that that's not happening in some way. Um, I think, in my at least in my opinion, I feel like James Cam- not James Cameron, <laughs> James Gunn, uh, really loves that cosmic side to the universe mm-hmm. and likes the idea of the big stories being this big sort of celebration of DC. Because I think that's what DC needs. I feel like DC needs a celebration of DC. Yeah. Um, there's so much kind of like, it's such a vague franchise at the moment where it's up and down with the quality and also with the just what universe are we in at any point. Um, that it, yeah, it's a bit confusing. And I think just the celebration at the end of like a run of five or ten films but that are pretty solid at least would do that sort of franchise a lot of good, I think. Mm. Um, yeah, so I think, when, I don't think we're saying goodbye forever, but yeah, it's just a shame that it's all kind of gone out with a whimper. There's no final film with these characters. I guess their final film together will be forever, like Zack Snyder's, um, Zack Snyder's Justice League. Mm. I think like it's kind of nice, but also very sad that their first film is their last film, and it's them together at least. Yeah, I think it's um, it's sad for them that they don't get to say goodbye to the characters like a lot of people do. And it, it's kind of strange yeah. to say that because, you know, there was a point where people they did one film and they kind of said goodbye to the character after that. Um, but you know, if you do get to kind of like two films, you kind of expect that you are going to get that chance to have like a big goodbye, like you said, a celebration of the character. Um, and as we've kind of learned a lot recently, is that like you said, um, you very rarely leave the character for good. Especially, mm, you know, yeah. a lot of these actors are still in the thirties, forties, even. And you know, it's yeah. perfectly reasonable for even even twenty, thirty years down the line, they could they could be back. Yeah, totally. Um, I think it will be huge news because I think by that point in time, even more so than, than they are now, I think they'll be a bit kind of romanticised as films and I think mm, there'll be yeah. a bit more nostalgia around them, I think. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I feel like it's, yeah, I feel like the Zack Snyder universe and then whatever came, came from that, it's kind of went out of a whimper, sadly, but I I think it will be looked, apart, looked back upon quite, mostly at least, quite fondly, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and something that we will re- return to, even if it's going to be in ten years' time. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, so the last bit of news is more dispelling of rumours. Basically, I thought it was worth including more, more because it definitively rules this thing out more than anything. But um, the day before these sort of comments from James Gunn, Variety reported that a well-placed source, which is their own words, told them that Gunn and Safran were looking to bring Matt Reeves' Batman into their DCU. Uh, Gunn once again took to Twitter to disprove this, and he called it entirely untrue. Again, that's a quote. Right. Um, so that kind of establishes that they're not in, they're not they're not going to draw what Matt Reeves is doing with the Batman films into kind of their plans for the universe. As far as we're aware, the Batman is still alive. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I suppose it wasn't. It was never was linked to, you know, the, the Snyderverse stuff in any way. So I think it probably will survive. But it does. It does kind of yeah. leave a big question over, over how it'll continue, with kind of James Gunn, taking such a quite a clean approach to his new universe. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think I'm very happy about that. I mm. think having both the Batman still going but separate from anything else I feel like it's the perfect 
that's the place for it, I think. Yeah. Um, and I do think it will be smart, and I wouldn't be surprised if going forward, they still do make off, like, not in that universe films. Mm. Like, uh, well, obviously the second Joker film, and then whatever else. Mm-hmm. And they call it, like, they give it a, a brand name sort of thing. Yeah. That's like, I think, what, what do they call it? I think they call it Black Label for the comics. Mm. Um, I think it would be smart of them to very much in a logo brand sort of form call these not in the universe films something different yeah. that are still going um, yeah I think that'll be smart and I think a very good choice I, I hope they stick by it to just keep Matt Reeves doing his thing because yeah. it's working mm. <laughs> don't ruin it please yeah um, just let it keep going mm. yeah so that that brings the DC headlines of the week to a close and right. um, I did also see something about a Green Lantern series shifting to a film, but it's been a strange week in terms of news, so I may, you know, I may have imagined that. <laughs> yeah. um, Green Lantern's always just about to be made. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, uh, next kind of main bit of news is actually a positive for Henry Cavill. I'm putting it in here as a hey. bit of a positive for the guy. He did announce okay. the day after his Superman departure that... Let me find the thing. He announced that... He is set to produce and star in a live-action adaptation of the popular miniature war game Warhammer 40,000. His love for the game is well documented, as well as other gloriously nerdy hobbies. His his Instagram post reads as follows. I promise you this is the last thing I'm quoting for today. Um, He said, For 30 years I have dreamt of seeing a Warhammer universe in live-action. Now, after 22 years of experience in this industry, I finally feel that I have the skill set and experience to guide a Warhammer cinematic universe into life. Partnering with Natalie Vescuzo at Vertigo has been a blessing beyond words. Without her, we might not have found the perfect home at Amazon. And having a home like Amazon will give us the freedom to be true to the massive scope of Warhammer. To all of you Warhammer fans out there, I promise to respect this IP that we love. I promise to bring you something familiar, and I endeavour to bring you something fantastic that is, as of yet unseen. Our first steps are to find our filmmaker, creator, writer. Watch this space, my friends, friends, for the Emperor. Wow. <laughs> um, that's good. That's very good news, I think. I feel like Yeah. I, I would got I would have went to Christmas Day this year being a bit depressed knowing <laughs> that Henry Cavill was waking up without Witcher or Superman. Mm. So to wake up on Christmas Day and be thinking, Henry Cavill's fine is good. Um, yeah. <laughs> because yeah, he deserves it. I think after all this <laughs> weird stuff. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm also glad that he has that kind of producer role because you know we don't really know the true reasons why he left The Witcher, and we are kind of led to believe that it was because the creative team didn't see the source material in the way that he did. But yeah. like generally, I'm just happy that he has a franchise that he loves. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's the thing that he. From what I gather, at least, the thing that he most loves, I think, yeah. he keeps on, kind of what I hear most from it, is those things mm. about Warhammer. And I think it's just also just quite nice that with James Gunn and now Henry Cavill with this, we're getting more producers and, you know, head producers and stuff like that that are actually fans and creative Yeah, people. definitely. Um, it's quite nice that that's kind of seeming to kind of be, like, happening more and more. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, I, I think... Even if James Gunn's universe doesn't go like, perfectly, I feel like it could be a lot better having someone that creatively minded at the forefront of it and making the choices, at least for like mm. the film side of things and what's happening in the scripts. 
and stuff like that. Yeah. So yeah, I'm just happy that at least on both these kind of news things, it's like it's happening for mostly I would say a good reason. Yeah. Like, it's coming out of the creative need to start fresh. Mm. Um. So yeah, I'm yeah I'm happy about that at least definitely. Yeah. Um. Yes, that that's kind of everything to do with that. Um, elsewhere in a galaxy far, far away, um, we've had <laughs> right. some interesting kind of speculation that's taken over the Star Wars corner of the universe, and that's to do with some details that have apparently been revealed about the Ahsoka series. There's been a lot of discussion on it um, on semi-reputable sites. I think that's the best way to describe them. Uh, and <laughs> right. their discussion is centered on the fact that the series will feature several versions of the character. Um, a source oh. called Making Star Wars have claimed um, that several actors are joining Rosario Dawson in order for flashbacks and alternative futures to be filmed. Um, there have been kind of wilder rumours about an alternative life paths and the world between worlds type of things, which does actually make me yeah. a bit more sceptical about this, since a lot of people seem to throw the world between worlds around without the specifics <laughs> about it. It's not the first yeah. time I've heard people discuss the world between worlds. Um, <laughs> however, this does follow reports that Aiden Christensen is involved in this series, and speculation kind of persists whether it's just kind of fan, I don't know what to call it, kind of fan hopes that there'd be kind of an Ahsoka versus Vader fight in live action, or some kind of live yeah. action Clone Wars scenes. Um, right. I wouldn't necessarily rule this kind of thing out, but, you know, stay sceptical, kids. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's interesting. I didn't at all expect that that TV show would have, like, alternate mm. futures or anything yeah. like that in it. I totally assumed it was going to be quite a straightforward asserts for uh, Ezra and Grand Admiral Thrawn. Yeah. I think that was... That is well. I think that is the main plot, anyway. Yeah. Well, yeah. There were there were kind of come. previous things that indicated that we're kind of going out of the universe or the galaxy we know, kind of going towards mm. what they call kind of the unknown regions to find Thrawn and Ezra. Um, mm-hmm. So it kind of contrasts a bit with what we're hearing with with this particular source. Yeah. Well, that's good. I think. Um... I'm excited to see Ahsoka, I think, mm. just because I, I, I like the character a whole bunch, and I think Rosario Dawson's performance is really good in, the, in like the few little scenes he got in The Mandalorian. Um, but yeah, I think... I don't know. I'm I'm a bit... With Star Wars at the moment and the TV shows, mm. outside of that Andor TV show, I'm a bit kind of... Not, not like, put off, but just a bit... Not, not even worried. Just kind of... I'm not sure if it's working for me, if that makes sense. No, I know what you mean. <laughs> um, I know what you mean. Yeah, I think I liked Obi-Wan quite a bit, and I I loved Andor in so many ways, but it's like, I don't know, I feel like the rest of the shows and like the planet they've got going forward, I'm just a bit, I don't know, I don't like, or I don't know, I, just, I don't vibe with the structures that they're going for, um, mm. if that makes sense, with like the, how they're doing TV shows and how... I don't know. I'm, 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 we'll wait to see. <laughs> I guess that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, I haven't really formed my thoughts on Star Wars at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> maybe we'll get to that in the new year. Mm. Yeah, um, maybe. <laughs> that's kind of our Star Wars news. Um, our next kind of big thing is is a return of a segment. You know what a segment is, Henry? 
think I do. Read of the week. It's back. Yeah, it is. It took a week, it took a week off last week to allow, for allow us to get the DC news in, but it's back. My tenuous reporting, yeah. just to keep this segment alive, continues. <laughs> um, there have Here been various go. fantastic four claims made this week, primarily from mm-hmm. an apparent leaker by the handle My Time to Shine. Um, they have doubled down on previous rumours that Marvel Studios are considering actors of any ethnicity for the uh, the cast of of the Fantastic Four, and they have said that Diego Luna and Isa Gonzalez are Marvel's top picks for Reed Richards and Sue Storm. Um, the leaker has also suggested that Shankman's film is set to be a cosmic adventure, which directly contradicts all previous information relating to the quantum realm. All <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, I, think, I, think, I think you can yeah. gather what I'm implying with that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I kind <laughs> I of. I mean, that casting. I'd, yeah, I'm kind of. Isn't a bad one, I don't think. Yeah, I'm kind of. I'm bringing this up mainly because. It's not the first time we've heard Diego Luna's name thrown into it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that kind of, for me, does does maybe suggest that either, either this person's really tuned in or maybe there might be some truth. Again, this kind of stuff isn't... It's not saying that they've been cast, it's just saying that they're in the mix. Um, mm. Similarly, kind of parallel to this, there has been some information that um, Austin Butler's representatives are eager for him to be cast as Johnny Storm. Um, what makes this more interesting, actually, and again, the specific reason why this bit's in here, is that Butler has been one of the main names thrown around by DC fans, the ones who aren't making effigies of James Gunn anyway, um, as <laughs> the younger Superman. Oh, really? Okay. Um, him and uh... one of the guys from Euphoria, I can't remember his name. Um, mm. Ironically, it's the guy who's supposed to be playing Elvis in that Greta Gerwig film about Elvis, um, Priscilla Presley. Oh, right, okay. Um, so apparently, in order to be considered for Superman, you have to have been Elvis at some point. That's what Henry Cavill got wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, Austin Butler's name's been thrown in there, but then again, are you even that actor in Hollywood if you haven't been associated with the Fantastic Four at some point? Yeah. Are you even, you know, popular at all? Yeah. You haven't been considered to be Reed Richard or Sue Storm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, Diego Luna, I think, is a, a great actor. I mean, I love him in the Andor TV show. Mm-hmm. And I keep on... He's one of those actors where, now that I've seen him in something where he's the main character, yeah. I can't unsee him from all his other films where he's sort of in the background, <laughs> or just like a secondary character. He's in so many films just doing his own thing. He's really good, but I just can't like unsee him now. I was like, oh, there he is. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I, I love him, and I think he probably would be pretty great, actually, in that role. Um, I think he would. I think he'd be good. But, yeah, I feel like he'd pull it off, and I feel like... I just want him to get more roles. <laughs> I think he's pretty great. Um, I think it's, it's, yeah, it's likely we'll see him be... in a bigger role. Or not bigger, you know what I mean? Because Andor's pretty big. He's a Star Wars main character. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah. you know what I mean. Yeah, and I, yeah, I feel like anyone who's pop gets popular via Star Wars or DC at some point gets put into Marvel. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> you know, in some way, he'll be there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's kind of Marvel news. Um, yeah. On to sturdier ground now, and something more sentimental. All right. Um, I don't think we've ever <laughs> mentioned Pokemon on the podcast before. 
This is a bit of a first. Think ever have. Um, <laughs> I haven't seen anything Pokemon for at least ten, be fifteen years. But I, um, I, I did used to be quite a big fan. So this news kind of got me a bit. And it's that after twenty-five years, the protagonist of the original Pokemon series, Ash Ketchum, finally won the World Pokemon Championships a couple of months ago. <laughs> um, <laughs> in the series Pokemon Ultimate Journeys. After 1,200 episodes, a final four-episode arc saw him beat the world champion and finally become the very best. Wow. Producers have since announced that Ash Ketchum and Pikachu will leave the series following an an 11-episode epilogue set uh, uh, in January, with new characters taking over in April. Big that is big moment. <laughs> big moment, and surprising that you know that character is just like a. You think Pokemon, you think that character and Pikachu. Mm. Um, so very surprising to be like, ah, he's out. Like I like the way that they've got him out, which is giving what he wants <laughs> after <laughs> all these years. But yeah, kind of surprising, honestly. Mm. Um, like I said, with Pokemon with me as well, I played it and watched the TV shows quite a lot when I was like, I think like ten or eleven, maybe, mm. and then. Yeah, this sort of didn't kind of click with me for the rest of the time. Like, I know that Pokemon Go was quite a big thing, but mm. even that kind of went by me. Um, I played the DS games. Um, yeah. I love the DS games. Yeah. Yeah. I put it this way. I stopped playing them when they were still, like, an overhead camera sprite sort of thing. And yeah, not same now, here. I guess, free, yeah, not the 3D ones. Yeah, oh no. Um, which I'm sure are good, by the way. I'm not saying they're not good, but... <laughs> um, yeah, I, I'm happy to hear that. I think good old Ash. He deserves it, you know. I mean, when did that show start? Like 1990s or something. 1997. It must have been. 97. <laughs> wow. Wow. 25 years. Took him 25. Oh my god, Jesus. Mm. Yep. <laughs> I'm happy for him. I'm glad he got it. I'm good glad chap. he didn't age one day in 25 years. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, it would have been very, you know, concerning mm. <laughs> watching this guy. Spent 25 years acting in real time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the power of anime. Yeah, yeah. No one ages in anime. Um, um, yeah. Yeah. I'm happy for it. Yeah. That's a good news story. It is. Like that one. <laughs> it is. And you're yeah. going to hate me for putting that before what I'm going to tell you next. Um, so to oh. wrap up, we return to the Hollywood Reporter, who are well on their way to becoming renamed, in my eyes at least, as the Heralds of Doom. Um, and they've been reporting that Sony have greenlit another Spider-Man spin-off. Um, right. Hypno Hustler will see Donald Glover star and produce. Uh-huh. Um, anyway. Who, who in, is this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, wow. You know, I don't want to say anything outright wow. hostile, but I'm pretty sure Sony don't know either. Yeah. <laughs> Um, it's probably just just someone typing random things in the admin room. Mm. I think it's just someone giving a bunch of comics, and then a studio guy in a in a suit, whatever, yeah. uh, closes his eyes, closes his hand over his eyes, and then points at something, opens his eyes, and goes that one. Mm. And he's just he's just positive that because it's a comic book and it's Marvel, it'd be popular, but he has no idea. <laughs> um, yeah, it feels like that. Yeah, just. The more news we hear, the more sad it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically. Um, 
Last, very last thing, we've had a few trailers this week. We've had a look at Nolan's Oppenheimer, and there's also been a 2001 A Space Odyssey-inspired trailer for Greta Gerwig's Barbie. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was a experience. <laughs> strange, wasn't it? Yeah, strange. I I loved uh, both trailers, really. That's a little Oppenheimer movie. Um, I was sure, by the way, it was black and white before the trailer. Um, mm. I'm positive that it was. but I think uh, they said that um, bits of it are black and white, bits of it are not. Like, like Memento. Yeah, right, okay. I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty sure in the interview um, Christopher Nolan directly referenced Memento. Like he said something like he'd been um, wanting to kind of get back to that. The black and white versus that, colour yeah. thing that he used. When I was watching the trailer, I feel like that's what kind of got the most from it, this kind of back to basics of Nolan. Um, mm, yeah. I feel like Tenet was his, his big, like, I'm going to just put every big concept I've ever had in my life into this one film. Mm. And then from now on I can just do character stuff and do a bit of time stuff at the same time. Mm. Um, did, you, did you see so, what he said about the, the nuclear bomb? No, no. <laughs> he, he said something like... He said something like um, he managed to, to recreate the nuclear detonation without using CGI. <laughs> which which the, the internet didn't quite know how to react to. What does that mean? I know. <laughs> what does that mean? Did he set off a nuclear bomb? What? Well, I'm pretty sure he'd know about it if they did, but you, know, you never know with Christopher Nolan. I mean, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Does it mean like a bunch of tiny explosions put together, like to maybe. look like it's a big one? Maybe these like maybe a miniature. That. Yeah, maybe that. I'm hoping it's that. Please be that. <laughs> <laughs> well, otherwise, that that town in New Mexico have had, uh, you know, get ready for cats with six legs. <laughs> I mean, every... Well, not every, but the last two, including this one, uh, Nolan has been mired by controversy in the sense that the last one came out during COVID, mm. and that was a big, like, how dare you? And I feel like <laughs> this one's got the whole controversy of, you did a nuclear bomb, Nolan, why? <laughs> <laughs> Excuse why? me, Christopher. <laughs> Apparently crashing a plane that into is. a hangar wasn't big enough for him. Yeah, he was really disappointed by that one. Yeah, <laughs> That is bizarre that is mm-hmm. yeah oh my god right <laughs> but that that does wrap the news up you're welcome good ending i love that good ending. go big or go <laughs> home quite literally yeah nuclear bomb ending wow mm-hmm. great yeah <laughs> we're all doomed we we all thought it'd be some some political conflict that ended the world but no, no it's no. christopher nolan's refusal to use cgi that did it <laughs> In his biography movie, not in his like big action one. In his yeah. Biography <laughs> movie. Oh, mm. Jesus. Wow. Um, but yeah, is that okay? So yeah. I guess <laughs> going from that, <laughs> we better recollect in the last year that ever existed, which was this year. Because mm-hmm. in the future, we're all gonna die of goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. Um, mm. I think we had a good year to end on. Um, yeah. <laughs> we're gonna go into our favourites now. Um, yeah, so I guess our main topic today is just like a big 
I think that in terms of the the big moves, at least the the final one has came out, mm-hmm. and we can now look back on this year and its big moves and its small moves and its TV shows and kind of assess what stuck out as our favourites and kind of stuck with us the entire year. Um, so yeah, I think just going to that and seeing if you agree. If you do agree, let us know. Or mm-hmm. disagree, let us know. Um, do you want to get started with your first pick? Uh, TV show movie? Okay. Um, I have a bit of a list to go through. Didn't mm-hmm. really know where to start. <laughs> but I think I'm going to go with something that like I, I, I went for a bit of inf- inspiration and tried to kind of search for a few things, see what other people were saying at least, you know, to get a good idea of, of what, where the where the land lie, and I'm going with one thing that I had to actually double check was released this year because mm. nobody mentioned it, or at least nobody that oh, I saw okay. mentioned it, which was a surprise to me. And that's why kind of the first thing I'm bringing up is the fourth season of Stranger Things. Oh right, okay, yeah. Um, I that feels like. Wait. Yeah, a while ago. <laughs> it does. Um, Run up that hill. Here we go. <laughs> um, so yeah, I to give a bit of context, I think I think the first two seasons of Stranger Things are excellent. Um, mm-hmm. But kind of when it came to the third season, I didn't dislike it. Didn't dislike it at all. Yeah. Um, but I kind of didn't feel the same about it that I felt about the first two. Um, mm-hmm. So kind of going into this fourth season, I was in a bit of a bit of a, bit of a, a different place with it. However, I have to say that I did really love the fourth season. Um, yeah. And one thing that I kind of wanted to talk about in bringing it up was what they did with kind of the episode length. Mm-hmm. And it comes sort of after we've had a lot of TV series of like, particularly from like Marvel and Star Wars where studios have kind of been branching franchises from film into TV. And we've had this kind of big kind of discussion about how a lot of these series have felt like movies stretched out into eight episodes, six episodes, eight episodes, ten episodes. And I think it's something that's been brought up with a lot of them. Um, And with that, this idea that what a lot of them have had is they've had episodes that have, there's not been like a unilateral length for episodes that you'd expect with TV shows. Obviously, traditionally, TV slick shows have to fit within a certain slot on TV. And for the most part, that had kind of extended to streaming. You know, a lot of them still kept to 50 minutes to an hour or even 40 minutes in some cases. Mm. Um, and I think it's really interesting to see kind of streaming's kind of difficult relationship with this. I mean, no, it's not difficult, but I've just always found it interesting because with streaming, there's been this big opportunity to kind of deviate from that and really experiment with it. Mm. Um, I've, I've, I've kind of been a bit, a bit of a bit of an internal advocate for seeing what would happen if you just kind of had these TV series and if you had episode lengths that kind of just fit the story that you wanted to tell in that particular episode. And I think an example of this kind of working has been The Mandalorian, in my opinion, anyway. I think with kind of the, the more Monster of the Week adventure-by-adventure adventure story that that had, it kind of suited really yeah. playing with this. 
And I think kind of, not to say that I've been proved wrong, but I think a lot of the series have kind of struggled with having episodes that have been different lengths. Um, yeah. And even even I've been guilty of it. You know, you're watching a TV series where the episodes have been varied and you kind of sit down to watch like that week's episode to find out that it's 32 minutes long. Mm. Um, especially when it comes to finales. I think the temptation is that I'm definitely I definitely get swept up into the thing of it's the finale. I want a big finale. Give me an hour and a half. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um and so kind of my big hypothesis <laughs> in terms of these T V series has taken a bit of a battering in the last few years. And then come along Stranger Things comes along Stranger Things even. And <laughs> I personally think that it's kind of reignited that within me because I think this season of Stranger Things, for me at least, has fully embraced the potential of what streaming television can be. Mm. Um, you know, the episodes are long. A lot of them are... You know, several of them are feature-length movies and it's expensive, so <laughs> it's unlikely we'll see many TV shows follow this. But I yeah. think this, better than a lot of the other TV shows. And I'm not saying I dislike them at all, but I'm saying that this, better than many of the TV shows that have come before it, has brilliantly kind of navigated that combination between television and film. I feel like it's really captured the idea of grand television. And I just thoroughly enjoyed it. I thought, considering some of the episodes like an hour and a quarter, an hour and a half, I absolutely did not feel like they struggled with that runtime at all. And I think, if anything, it's helped Stranger Things because one of my, not necessarily criticisms, but maybe problems with some of the previous seasons is that they've struggled to get going. I think yeah. the amount of characters they have in the world that they have, a a 50-minute first episode to a season hasn't been enough to kind of convey and set up all that they've wanted to set up. But with kind of a longer one with this one, with the, this season four, I think they've been able to do that. And it's probably one of my first, one of my favourite kind of first episodes of the season, excluding the pilot episode, which is kind of the exception that it, it kind of gets its runtime right. Mm. But yeah, I think in terms of, you know, I'm not going to deny it, it's, it's a luxurious position to have. Um, yeah. To be able to do these run, run times, do the budget that they did, uh, and to make it look as good as they did. But I think it's kind of that, I don't want to say gold standard, because, you know, people might hate me for it. <laughs> it's a big claim. But I kind of, I think this is kind of a bit of a benchmark for that big scale television and how to navigate the amount of characters that it navigates and to do it as well as, well as they did. And to also give it a more finite ending, which a lot of TV shows struggle when you get to the third or fourth season. It's, it kind of becomes a bit of a, a bit of a cycle of playing for your next season. Um, but yeah, I think, for me, Stranger Things is a major highlight of television this year. I don't know how, how you'd feel about, feel about it. Uh, I quite, yeah, I think it was my favourite out of the post-season one mm. kind of era, I guess. Um, I Yeah, I totally agree with the, the length and the... Because I was worried when I heard the length of this episode when they first like announced it. Yeah. Because um, I remember my, my issue 
with the previous episodes, like the previous seasons, only season three, I guess, would be the kind of this kind of overstuffed nature of it, where it mm. kind of I feel like Stranger Things slowly went from being quite grounded and thriller slash horror to a bit more like candy, if that makes sense. Like, yeah. <laughs> like a lot of just a lot of a lot that's very fun and engaging and likable with a bit of horror going on in the background that comes you know full circle near the end mm. and I, I quite I still quite like those seasons I, I definitely don't dislike them I, I would say that they're good TV and good uh, seasons but I feel like what I didn't realise about what the length would do would allow that overstuffed kind of feeling to kind of have more time to spread out and not feel overstuffed it mm. just felt like it fitted because they were like you said, like kind of like weekly short movies almost um, that would lead to the like ongoing story. Which I think, was I think it's what other shows might struggle with a bit more, where mm. they feel like they're doing an ongoing story, but the episodes don't feel like you finished them and you finished an arc, if that makes sense, or mm. uh, a situation or something like that. And I feel like, for the most part, at least with the season four. When I finish an episode, I feel like I've been given a story, like a full story, that will continue on. But this episode was a story in itself, and mm. I think that's what that this season did extremely well. Um, and yeah, I think <laughs> I think I immediately because I almost kind of forgot how like stuff full of characters and stuff like, like just pop songs and all that sort of thing that this series is. But I almost forgot. But when I started watching the show the fourth season again well the first time I I, I re- in the first episode I realised like, oh yeah this show the whole thing is that it's like an ensemble cast and every year the cast gets bigger because <laughs> mm-hmm. um, they introduce so many characters and then get to the new characters and I'm like wow this is an undertaking like I am I do not pay I do not I'm not jealous of the writer of this show because um, I, it's just a lot. Like, how do you fit in this many characters and make them all apart the same plot but different plots and all that sort of thing? Mm. Um, and yeah, like I said, there's so many. I think what, as well, the season that it got well for me was that I felt like I finally knew where we were going. Um, I think the mm. previous two seasons, or at least season three again, I feel like I was always a bit like, oh surely we would end it in season three like a trilogy sort of thing um but then it didn't end and there wasn't really a, like a main villain that kind of explained what was going on on like the fourth level and sort of thing mm. and i feel like the fourth season has at least given us that and i felt like when i ended season four i was satisfied with what i was giving but also was looking forward to the future whereas previously i felt like i I finished season three, season two, maybe, and it was kind of like that was good, and like, but we're still going. Like, <laughs> there's still more, really. Um, <laughs> but this time, I, I do want to know what's coming next because I know that there's like, I guess like a villain really, and the status quo has been affected by this major event near the end. Um, so yeah, I think this season was definitely a highlight, kind of kind of return to form mm-hmm. for the show, and it's not even a show that went off the rails. It's just kind of, it's nice that it kind of, I think the season one set up a really good story. Season two, season three kind of went to different areas and did well, but kind of sprawled out a bit. And then the fourth, and hopefully the next season kind of brings it all back, if that makes sense. Mm. Um, so I think it, I think it definitely can, and I think it would make sense, and I would be totally okay with hearing the news that the next season's going to have 
one hour of forty minute episodes like this season has. Yeah. Um, I think it it just I think it works for this show definitely. Um, whether other shows will take that on, I'm not sure. Like mm. I say, it's expensive and long oh, yeah. and not every show requires this much characters. Like these mm. many characters have different arcs going on at the same time. So yeah, but yeah, I definitely agree that it was definitely a highlight of this year for me and definitely up there with the TV shows that I watched. Um, and I was just happy to see it be great again, if that makes sense. I was just like, oh, it's nice that this is back on, you know, back on form yeah, properly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so yeah, definitely mm. agree with its being like a favourite, yeah. Yeah. What about uh, your first pick? Um, for me, I just want to almost get out get out of the way of the obvious for me. <laughs> I feel like this film's going to be this film's going to be like another Spider-Man 2 for me as well. I'm going to be talking about it and mm-hmm. everyone's going to go, for fuck's sake, get over it. So I was going to say, and get out of the way, I'm going to say anything, everywhere, all at once. Yeah. Which came out this year, which is the weirdest part to me because that feels like a decade ago. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, this film came out and I was very, very excited and I, I love the, the Daniels, their previous work on, well, their music videos and then also their previous film Swiss Army Man mm-hmm. which is a film that I, I managed to somehow show everyone I've ever met and see their reaction to um, and <laughs> I just I love the trailer I love the entire vibe they were going for and up to the, the release of the film I got very into just watching interviews with the cast and the directors and mm-hmm. seeing how like of a weird family unit they were and how great it was to see that on a big budget film I guess um, and I think I went to the cinema and I had just one of the best experiences of my life and I and it was lovely as well because I saw it on the first day it was released with a kind of like a, a late night crowd I think I left the cinema at like half eleven mm-hmm. um, and it was a crowd that you know were excited for the movie really wanted to see it and were definitely you know in the age group that the film kind of is going for I think um, and it was this really wonderful experience of leaving the cinema and any of the credits because we all just decided to stay <laughs> um, and we all I didn't buy the, I didn't go with anyone these are people that were just you know around me um, and it was kind of this weird universal kind of in that room experience of just like wow and not quite able to get over it the entire way home um, in fact I remember actually going home and getting home and sitting down and kind of not having much of a memory of how I got home <laughs> um, I just kind of got home and I was there and I sat down and I was like, oh shit, I'm home. Because <laughs> I was just thinking about that movie the entire way and just what a beautiful movie and what a, you know, it's, it, it is a blockbuster. I think that's the most exciting part about it is the fact that it's a pretty big movie made on a, a smaller budget than most blockbusters that is, you know, so in tune with what it's saying and does it what it's saying so well and does it in a way that's not uh, I guess too subtle to be unnoticed but not too over the top to be a bit kind of in your face mm-hmm. um, I think it's I think I think I actually saw this kind of statement from the director that summed up for me where it's nuance and layers and depth and all that isn't necessarily you know you turn the volume way down it's you, you can have all that and turn the volume way up and it's totally it can totally work mm-hmm. in a million ways and I think that sums up the film so well. It's a film that's always on volume 100, but has so much to say at the same time. Um, yeah, I, I, I cried like 10 times. <laughs> I cried throughout the credits, I think. And then I just, yeah, I loved the whole thing. I 
I love the character of uh, the character of, of Waylon. Waylon, I think so. Yeah, um, played by the the great Temple of Doom actor, mm-hmm. <laughs> whose name oh Ki 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 Hoi Kwan, I think mm-hmm. is his name. Um, I think yeah, he what a comeback! I like, what a you you know you quit acting for decades and then come back with this film is what a what a heartwarming like story and it mm, will it's lovely I think it yeah and I think it's amazing that it probably will win Oscars it might even be a contender at least for best picture which is crazy mm-hmm. crazy that this film that is number one a blockbuster but also so weird like it's a Daniels film and you know it's not in some ways it's, it's not quite as you know weird as the first their first film because I think the first one was just so <laughs> strange really <laughs> and hard to explain to anyone that doesn't want to watch it um, yeah it's uh, yeah. yeah and I think <laughs> yeah it's just that um, yeah it's just that isn't it <laughs> uh, and yeah I just I I can't quite get over it I think I watched it in a cinema about four times mm-hmm. every time I just loved it more and more and found more details and I brought different people with me each time and I inspired people that hadn't watched it to go see it themselves mm-hmm. um, and everyone came back to me with the same kind of even if they didn't love it the same way I have they would you know be pretty like enamored with it still and yeah I mean I just yeah I, was just, I think it's the first time in my adult life because I, I knew that I loved movies the way that I do now when I was like 14, 15 I think and then Going from that, kind of knowing what my favorite film was, I think it was quite. I knew, I knew. Okay, this. I think this is, you know, it's quite a lot of who I am. This film and what I like about this medium, mm-hmm. Spider-Man Two, and I think it's my. This is my the first time I've seen it in cinemas, or a new film, or even an old film that I've gone gone back to, um, where I legitimately went. This might top it, and and I genuinely spent a good two days having a, a crisis over have I got a new favourite film <laughs> and why do I feel so bad about Spider-Man 2 <laughs> um, I really had a crisis about that and I, I think I came down on the, the opinion that it's like, it's like a you know it's a hair's wit between them and it's you know I can't quite let go of Spider-Man 2 but it's still you know it's in that conversation at least and it's up there um, I think yeah this is I'll come back to this film every year. I'll watch it, I don't know, four times every year, probably. <laughs> uh, yeah, what a great film. Uh, yeah. Do you have similar kind of feelings about this weird film? <laughs> uh, just, to, just to say what you said, um, He Hoi Kwan has been nominated for a Golden Globe. So oh, he stands right. every chance of being nominated for an Oscar at this point. Fantastic. I'm so happy for him. God. Um, I have to I have to break hearts and say I haven't seen it. <laughs> oh, have you not? Oh, um, generally, I totally generally, you I've I've disappointed myself with how few films I've actually seen this year. Um, this well, is kind of the same. This yeah. is an unfortunate category <laughs> because, like we spoke before, about another film that um, basically it's, it's around three films that I really should have seen in order to do this podcast, but I haven't had the chance to. Um, and so at the end of last week we talked about the fact that you've seen one big one from the last month that I haven't seen and in order to try and maybe balance things out I had hoped to be able to see everything everywhere all at once over the weekend but I didn't get the chance Um, mainly because I I had a a funny feeling that you might mention it at some point (laughs) Um, but I think 
you know, we haven't really talked about the Golden Globes, um, mainly because, you know, award ceremonies, there's a lot said about them, that kind of thing. But I think one of the kind of big things to kind of take away is how glorious it is that a film like Everything All, Everywhere All at Once has such a presence at these award ceremonies. Um, and how kind of different that is from how things have always been, where it's always been kind of drama and the same kind of film, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And it's a shame that I haven't seen it because it is the exact kind of film that I would love. It's it's big, bold adventures, and I I am genuinely thrilled that such a film that seems so adventurous and so... I mean, I haven't seen it, so this could be way off the mark. But something that <laughs> elicits more than more than the typical reaction you get from cause, from Oscar type films, because mm. you know I talk to my parents who aren't as sort of up to date on news, film news as I am. But even with them, if you say a film is Oscar nominated, it elicits a very certain reaction from them. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's kind of across the board with a lot of people and I am so happy that a film like this that is bolder, that is bigger and has such a big heart on its sleeve even from someone who hasn't seen it I think it's a tremendous kind of moment and it's one of the reasons why kind of this year has been so good because this isn't for me in my weird categorisation inside of my head for films this isn't kind of, it's probably the biggest example, but it isn't the only film of this type that's got like a real, a real joyous kind of celebration in the public eye. Mm. And I think it's been a really big, big year for the kind of films that aren't often celebrated to be celebrated. Yeah. Yeah. I think as well, also kind of the, the awards sort of thing. Mm. I think it's kind of, it's one of those weird things where you, you kind of understand and you accept and you kind of get over yeah. it in the sense that you know that it's just it's just a you know a gold you know statue yeah. thing that someone gets but at the same time you kind of you understand that the the reason that we kind of get annoyed when something wins that you think shouldn't win or something like that mm. the reason why is because it has an influence yeah. beyond what it is really like what it practically is and then it's what it kind of implies with a larger audience that's not really that in tune with what's actually yeah. going on here. It, it matters, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, like fundamentally, practically, like, realistically, it doesn't matter. But mm. it has, like, a, a kind of almost, like, a thematic sort of, like, like, I don't know, like, it's sort of, like, communicating with everyone that might not be a huge film fan. This film's important. Mm. It's like, kind of like saying that in on the biggest stage possible. Yeah. Um, so I think... I, it's just lovely that out of you know there are so many great films that deserve what the Oscars that they get and stuff like that and totally you know are in that wheelhouse of what you'd expect to get an Oscar and they're still great but it's it's quite it's lovely really that this film just at all in that conversation I mean I think it I think I saw uh, yeah I saw Jamie Lee Curtis on the Graham Norton show for the Halloween uh, movie mm. that came out this year and that film despite not being what the film like what the you know, conversations was actually about. It got brought up anywhere, and was being brought up because it might might get an Oscar, and 
the weirdness of that happening, <laughs> even though it hasn't happened yet, even though the nomination hasn't been announced. Like the idea that it's in that conversation already, and even on like popular like shows that aren't you know about film, but you know not about you know trying to see what might get an Oscar. Like it's not really about that, mm. but it's just nice that it's a film this big, uh, this handcrafted sort of feeling to it where for like the special effects for example they're largely done either in camera or or by the actual directors themselves mm. um, because of well the budget really um, I, I've and, just like know. done a quick scan um, and literally there's one piece of trivia that is the first of the list that you just kind of flick across mm. and it says the VFX team was nine people Two of which were the director. Yeah, yeah, that's the crazy part. Yeah, <laughs> and it, like, and it looks so good. And there's so many visual effects shots that are amazing. Mm. And I mean, there's so many like, there's so many like, I don't want to put like, but almost like cheap corner cutting tricks that work so well. Yeah. Like, there's so many like, just stand there, stay still, and then we're gonna, you know, take you out of that shot, and then we're gonna film it again, and we're gonna pretend like you disappear like that's sort of like trickery where it's just someone stands still and then we we, we cut you move away and we start filming again like that's sort of yeah. like that's sort of like just like gorilla or more like we're just yeah we've got nothing we've got we've got tape and some lights and all that and that's what we're going to do this film with this multiverse action mm. romance we've got you know whatever, we've got you know, like, we've got nothing but enthusiasm <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah we've got nothing but the pattern of filmmaking yeah. <laughs> it's it's kind of like, in recent memory, it's the most, like, we've got nothing but the passion of filmmaking mm. <laughs> sort of thing going for us here. And I think, and it, I think as well, like, I know that from this film, the Daniels will go on to become a name to watch and probably will get higher budgets. Mm. But I, I fundamentally just, I can't see them becoming, I don't know, like, big budget directors for hire that makes sense yeah. like they're always I, I can't imagine them going on and being like well they, I think they've confirmed this we're not doing a sequel to this film or anything like mm. that and we're just making we're just making films the way we want to make films and I think the way they want to make films is this way like I'm sure they'll be able to do more things now that they've probably got more eyes and therefore bigger budget but I just don't see them ever kind of leaving this sort of their form of making films behind um, and it's just beautiful to see and I think this for their second feature film to be this film and to be like this great and kind of almost like universal as well which I think is great about it is this family story and it's a family story in which every you know every uh, person watching the film can connect to something you know in that, that dynamic mm. um, so it's, it's just great this film is universal but specific and thematic but also a million genres at once <laughs> at the same time like it's it's yeah I think it's just a highlight of movies really and a highlight of my favourite film of this year definitely um, and I just I cannot I cannot wait for uh, just to see what these directors do and to see this film go on to get a bigger sort of traction in the wider audiences yeah um I feel like it's just, it's just going to keep on going and going. It's, got, it's going to be one of those kind of... I think it's already quite big, but I feel like it's going to get more you know, buzz as soon as it goes from at Oscars or even just beyond that, just generally, just people see it on streaming and see it and just can't 
get over it. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it definitely yeah, has so, a really strong following to it now. Yeah, and I think definitely. even even if it doesn't necessarily win any awards, just being in that discussion can only kind of enhance its reputation. Yeah, because whenever you hear a blockbuster mm. be in that realm, you instantly can't help but like wonder why, mm. and you, you want to know why, and you have to see it. Um, yeah. Even if you don't agree with it being that good or whatever, you have to like kind of know. Like, it's something you need that goes, I have to know. Like how <laughs> why is everyone saying this film's gonna mm. get an Oscar? Um yeah. So I think yeah, I'm the super, I'm like weirdly proud of it, even though like I didn't make it <laughs> but I'm like I'm like proud of it in a weird way. Mm. Um it's just a yeah, I'm just happy for it and I, I hope it, you know, just keeps continues to spread, yeah. really. Um yeah. So I think that's my first bit, the kind of the obvious one. Mm. You know, I'm sure I'll do some sort of big essay on it one day. <laughs> um, yeah. I assume you'd already start. Honestly, kind of, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I think that's my first pick and my top pick, I guess. Okay. Um, yeah. So I guess, do you want to go on to your next film or TV show? Yes, yeah, so I'm, I'm going to go for a film now. And I'm going to say um, Dan Trachtenberg's Prey. Um, oh, I'm going to move right, on quickly yeah. because I feel like I've butchered his name. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, as far as kind of reboots go, <laughs> kind of reboot sequel type things go, I think Prey is extraordinary. <laughs> mm. um, I don't, don't get me wrong, I don't think it's the greatest kind of action film. I don't think it's a particularly, you know, up there with particularly spectacular top tier action but I think it's a film that knows what it wants to do and does it incredibly well. Right. Um, and, I mean, that sounds like I'm criticising it there. The action is very good. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, just want to kind of get that out of the way. But it's a film that... If there hadn't been this kind of big franchise attached to it, I think we'd be hearing a lot more talk about it. And I feel like it's a film that has had a major disservice done to it in the way that it was distributed. Because to me, this is a franchise film that deserves to be in the cinema. And I kind of understand why it wasn't, because the last Predator film did not go down very well. No. Um, And, you know, I completely understand how it ended up going straight to Hulu slash Disney+. Plus. But having seen it, I think it's just a massive shame that more people haven't seen this. Because it's just a really well-crafted, with genuine kind of care and attention paid. Not just the Predator franchise, but kind of the story, the grounded story that it tells. Because I think it's one thing, because it's kind of like a back to basics in that it's the... um, it's the predator versus a tribe of. One second, I, I want to get this right because it deserves to be to be gotten right. Um, excuse me. <laughs> the Comanche, so the um, oh, yeah. the Comanche nation is what the kind of the synopsis describes it as. Um, and really back to basics there are no guns it's very much bow and arrows versus plasma cannons 
Um, it's a young, it's a young kind of, the young woman who's struggling to kind of prove a, a place within the uh, within a family and within a within a community. Ends up going head to head with an extraplanetary monster slayer. <laughs> Um, and I think, like I said, it doesn't just take care with kind of the, the the predator mythos and the predator lore. It also just takes so much care with that Comanche kind of world and the attention that it pays to that. And it's just so dedicated to doing that story and doing it well in that I just can't help but admire it. And I think it's mm. it's a film that a lot of franchise franchises that have gone... You know, these kind of franchises that have had one, maybe two big hits in the past and are desperately trying to kind of recapture that. This is how to do yeah. it. Um, and so much so in the in, in the sense that it feels like the, the, there, there is still a bit of a, a bit of a studio footprint on it in that there are certain bits like the Predators kind of revealed fairly early on when maybe you could tell the director didn't really want to do that because... There's this such this focus on the on the on the, the human characters, but I think it's strange in that it's a shame this film hasn't been shown to more audience, but as a result of kind of a lack of studio faith. But in the same way, that lack of studio faith has kind of meant that they've not been as interested in forcing their will upon it. And that's actually resulted in a good film. <laughs> so it's this big, <laughs> this big contradiction between those those two things. And I would just, I just, I just want to in, encourage people to view this film because it's it's genuinely novel in how it takes on this franchise. I I, I really hope this film gets a sequel because it definitely deserves it. Um, yeah, I just I just want to shine, shine, shine a light on it. I don't know if you've seen it. Yeah. Well, we're kind of swap horses because I haven't seen Because <laughs> <laughs> I started, I literally started to watch it uh, at my Lee's house, um, mm-hmm. but I had just moved in, mm-hmm. and it was one of those experiences where you know early on the Wi-Fi isn't that great, mm-hmm. and so I'm watching it for like the first like five minutes maybe, and I'm just watching pixels move around the screen. Really, yeah. I'm not really seeing any, anyone's faces. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't do it that way. So I was like, I'll wait until the Wi-Fi gets fixed, mm. and then I'll watch it properly. And then I just didn't get around to it. Honestly, I think it, I don't know. I think it just kind of, it kind of came and went. And by the time it kind of went from conversation at that point, I just forgot it happened. Honestly, because mm-hmm. um, my experience with the Predator franchise is that I quite, I really, really like the first one. Mm. But I, because I know that all the sequels don't quite get that high. I, I kind of haven't ventured into watching them. Mm. So I know that people kind of like the second one. I know that they kind of like the, the Predators movie. Um, mm. And I know that everyone hates the last one <laughs> by Shane Black. Um, and whenever I see an image or something from that movie, I'm always shocked that the Predator franchise went that way at some point. Mm. <laughs> it's a very strange thing. And I think, uh, yeah, so I, I'm, but I was... When I saw the trailer for this one, I was generally quite excited for it, and I thought the back to basics, this idea of it, just made a lot of sense. And I feel like it's almost like too obvious, and it's kind of strange that it didn't happen sooner that they went back to that being that basic. Mm. Um, I yeah, I just I started it. I was liking it. If that if that helps, <laughs> I, I was liking it. 
the, the pixels that I saw. Um, so yeah, I think it's it's definitely on my list still, definitely. Mm. Um, just in case we're getting around to it, but mm. I'm happy that it's. I'm happy that this franchise has another great entry because I feel like it's deserved one for like decades now. Um, yeah, it does. So yeah, so I'm happy to hear that it's good mm. and it's definitely on my list um, for sure. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and this is also coming from someone who actually I actually quite like Predators. Mm. I think yeah. it's it's actually I a lot of praise of that one. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's another film that's kind of done dirty by, by the general discourse because I think it's a really enjoyable film, and prior to this one, I'd probably say it was the best Predator film, except for the yeah. original kind of thing. But I think Predator right, yeah. pro- probably claimed that. I think, I don't necessarily think Predator Two is is bad. I think there are a lot, a lot to enjoy in that film. Um, I mm. think probably the most damage that was done to this franchise was as a result of Alien versus Predator. <laughs> oh, I forgot about that. Actually. Yeah, because I think um, even I'd forgotten about it before I kind of mentioned before I started talking about it. Because um, because I think the Alien franchise had kind of already hit a bit of a low going into those two films, whereas yeah. the Predator films hadn't really. Like like mm. you know the second one wasn't as well received as the first one, but I don't think it was. You know I don't think it had been hit as badly as as Alien had been, whereas. You know, yeah. those two films took a toll on both franchises. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I think whenever I see an image or a clip or whatever from um, those two, I think it's two of them, yeah, two movies, Aliens vs. Predators, mm. um, I'm always a bit like, how did that happen? You know? Mm. How did that happen? How did I get by? How did, like, there were two of them and they were weirdly quite big movies mm. and, you know, got... Theatrical, theatrical releases, but were, but they look like DVD movies. If yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think it's confusing. Yeah, I I I went through a phase. I I, I loved what I was still doing in, in in a way, but I just love watching videos about those two films, especially the second one, because they're just so yeah. strange films. Like, <laughs> I hope you don't mind me spoiling the second one for you. I'm okay. But, with it. <laughs> but it literally ends. With the military nuking everyone. Ah, yeah, I've heard that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, God. Yeah. I think more so for the Alien franchise, I can't... It's like so strange that that franchise goes to a place of, you know, it having a, a versus movie with a nuclear bomb mm. and just normal humans. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah, yeah, it's, it's strange. just... Yeah, it's just strange. <laughs> it is just strange. <laughs> Um, <laughs> but yeah, I'm glad that this kind of got a decent footing there with Prey, and that yeah, because you know the Predator is it's a legendary like a movie monster, movie villain, and it it's a franchise that I think deserves better than kind of what it got in, in some points. Yeah. But yeah, that's my second pick for for, uh, for for this. Would you like to move on to your your second one? Yeah. Um, so my second one is. Again, I'm just getting the big one out of the way, mm-hmm. I guess. <laughs> uh, is a recent film, and by recent I mean this week. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm going to talk about Avatar, mm-hmm. The Way of Water, <laughs> which I experienced only on yeah on Friday, I think. And, God, yeah, what a film. That was good. <laughs> <laughs> I read your review, I, by the way, before this. Oh, good, yeah. yeah. That probably sums up better than I can do in words. <laughs> um <laughs> 
I think it was just a Australian experience because I, well, to like kind of chart my history of Avatar, I think I watched it when I was nine years old when it first came out in cinema in IMAX mm-hmm. uh, with my entire family, which is very strange to have the entire family there. But because it's, it's a big movie, I think everyone decided to do it. For, I think it was someone's birthday, and we went, yeah, we'll see this film for his birthday, mm-hmm. and we'll do it in IMAX with the entire family. Which I think it's the only thing ever happened in my life, but. Yeah, and I, I loved it, and I was so excited for the like the idea of more Avatar and more Pandora. Um, I re- I just loved the idea of it, and uh, I loved, loved the film as a nine year old. And then we watched it like every month for like, a whole year, I think. And I have a very clear memory of around the time it got released, hearing on the radio in my parents' car that uh, the sequel would probably be made by twenty thirteen. Um, <laughs> which clearly did not happen at all. Mm. Um, and I remember hearing that thinking, oh my God, that's so long away. Because that's when, when you're a kid, mm. time is longer. It is, yeah. In a strange way. <laughs> so much longer. So 2013 felt like so long away. So to have it come out in 2022, I, I don't think I could tell nine-year-old Henry that news because that would break him. Um, so <laughs> so <laughs> I think, the, and I loved it. And then I had that sort of this period of time where I, nothing... Avatar related came out. No one really talked about it that much anymore. And then years went by, and whenever it became talked about, it became that that classic conversation now of what happened to Avatar? Like, why is Avatar the biggest movie of all time, and why is it you know left no impact apparently? And I even if I fell into that kind of category for quite a while. Why I would agree with that notion of why is it the biggest film of all time, and why is you know how is it? kind of had no impact really overall in terms of, technology obviously has but in terms of like no one references the theory for example um, so it, it was all kind of this weird thing that happened and then I didn't have I didn't really feel a need to go back to it really until until like well yeah until the, the re-release we had this year upcoming to this film um, which is in I think it was in a new 4k sort of uh, upgrade and I think there's some new effects and it's overall a more polished look to it, and I want I want to go see it in IMAX 3D, and I just had the best time, and I was just like, my God, I I totally forgot how good this is, and how well how great James Cameron is, and why I ever doubted him, this I couldn't really understand really in that time period in between, um, and I think, I think Avatar, I think well yeah I think it gets a lot of criticism for the thing that most blockbusters kind of do. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, it's gotten the most like oh, a spotlight on it for doing it, which is its characters in the first movie are pretty simple and pretty much like archetypes, um, getting you through with this new world and you know getting a plot really quite well, um, and I think I would say that most big franchises, especially from the nineties and eighties, did that in their first movie. Um, the characters aren't usually that multi-dimensional or complicated in that, in that first movie. I mean, I think a perfect example for me, honestly, is the first Star Wars film, where those characters are, are great and so iconic, but they're not at their most complicated or, you know, strange in that film. I feel like Empire and Return of the Jedi is the one, the other films that do that with those characters more so than the first film does. And there's nothing wrong with that, I don't think. And I think it's strange and a bit odd that the first Avatar gets so much hatred for that in some ways, some sort of like 
I think what happened with it was it had that the the pedestal of being number one movie worldwide box office wise, and I think when people hear that they immediately assume it must be the, the greatest film of all time, <laughs> uh, and not just a great film. Uh, it has to be the greatest. And when people go, oh yeah, it was pretty good, but the characters were very good. They, it become it kind of becomes a defining thing of like how is this made to number, number one mm. uh, sort of thing. Um, so I don't think it was fair. And then. And then just again to this film, I this like what a experience it was, and so strange in a way because as soon as you come back to Pandora as a planet, and especially in the first kind of like opening where you're with the family and kind of getting you're getting like a whole kind of catch up essentially, because um, it's been ten years in like actual movie time since the last film. Mm. Um, <coughs> And it was this weird thing of like seeing this this family dynamic with Jake Sully and Teary and their daughter, their daughters, their two sons, and these two like adopted children, a very big family, and just I loved all of them instantly. And I think what got me about it was, and what I had always kind of felt about Avatar, but became more clear with this film was, it's it's just really lovely that the biggest franchise of all time, and the biggest sort of technological advancement in, in film is done or that became popular and it's because and it's these movies that are essentially just very simple and very heartwarming and very not at all cynical mm-hmm. um, and it's just lovely I think and I think that's what it's like kind of hit me the most watching this new one where there's so many sequences dedicated to this wonder and immersion and looking at the world and not looking at it from like a oh yeah been there but been there done that sort of thing like it's mm. it takes a time whenever it can to really just dwell on how beautiful something can be if left alone like that sort of you can't get you know obviously the, the main theme of Avatar is not at all subtle and it is very much a film about please don't destroy a planet please <laughs> that would be nice <laughs> <laughs> and there there are sequences in this film that I, I think it's hard to like talk about, about spoiling it, but there are sequences that echo the first film, but for me do it in a more specific way, and for me a, a much stronger way, where I, I like I cried a few times because of both the, the immersion of it and the beauty of it, but also whatever the film would kind of showcase the dark side of human ambition, I guess. It, I think, compared to the first film, the second film has a sequence akin to that, but a bit more specific, and it really affected me, I think, and really... I think made the stakes of this story re- extremely clear, um, and I think James Cameron has just proved himself time and time again to be the best at sequels. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean Aliens, Terminator Two, and I think this film will be up there for a lot of people in terms of like sequels that are just prove that he's the greatest. Because yeah. um, he just takes the first film and understands that people want the same thing but different, and he does it in a way that is that enhances the first film, but also makes the second film its own thing. Um, and I think this film does that so, so well. And there are so many characters in this film where that I have generally, like, I cannot wait to see more of. There are a character played by Sigourney Weaver who's playing her own teammate itself, which is very strange. Um, but also, like, the best casting ever because she's the best character and she's amazing in it. Uh, and so, like, lovable and likeable and just, like, a very... Like a, I don't know what I call it, like a bright ball of light in the film, and I think she's the character who's the most in touch with the world around her and the kind of the beauty of it, and gets the most kind of 
I guess, like, POV sorts of films looking at the world and being like, holy shit, this is amazing. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it is. And I think what he does with the, the water sequences is just incredible. I mean, I could have spent, like, literally, like, the, the, the two hours of the film, because it starts, like, I guess, after the first act, the whole water sort of thing. Um, and I could have spent two hours just seeing the characters go about in the water and not really do anything about the plot. <laughs> like, that could totally have worked for me, honestly. Um, and I think it, it's just a beautiful film. And I think it's a, it's a film that invites you in, says, forget about everything else going on, you, or going on in your life. Take in this story, take in what we're saying, love these characters, and love this world, and we're going to do our best to make it the best that we can. Mm-hmm. And we're going to push film further than it's ever gone before. And I think that's what the film has done. Um, this film and what it's, what it's doing is just it's just it's one of those things where it's just doing a challenge because if we don't do it who else is going to do it and there's something really admirable about that and really just James Cameron e about that <laughs> by itself mm. um, I think I hope I, I don't really mind if it doesn't get like the biggest box office ever again I hope it does extremely well I really hope that but I, I think this film I think it will I think it'll actually gain more traction as it goes yeah. and more kind of praise as it goes, I think. Well, it's been a strong start in terms of the box office. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, do you think you'll get a chance to see it upcoming? Or Sorry? Do you think you'll get a chance to see it uh, like soon? Or? Oh, yeah, I, I should be able to. <laughs> Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I'd like to think so. Um, yeah, I think it's... Especially when you have such a large gap between between two films, mm. there's in that wait. There's like a there are various things that are bound to happen, and I think that there's the hype part of it, and there is also the kind of the expectation or the dampening of of the success of the previous film. And I think because I, I similar to you, I saw it in two thousand and nine, and in kind of the years since I was very much guilty of being swept up in the kind of the general feeling as time went by that it wasn't actually as good as people said it was or as as the the kind of the box office numbers suggest. Yeah, I kinda of, I came back to it and watched it as part of as part of my degree. And I was sat there watching it and thinking, you know what? It's actually pretty good <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um and I think it it, 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 it I don't want to say it was a surprise, but it was kind of um, almost like a revelation in that you just don't write James Cameron off. And it's something that you yeah. should never forget in that especially when it comes to a sequel, James Cameron's the man. <laughs> um and I think there's no shortage of, of ambition just looking at kind of the trailers for this film and just kind of what it's aiming to do, you know, there's all these plans for sequels beyond this, and you know, Avatar three's been filmed, part of film four's been filmed, um, all this kind of news that accompanies it, and I think it, it's it's difficult to not root for the film. I think, at least at least someone from yeah. my perspective, and I think with 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 knowing it's, it's James Cameron behind the behind the camera. It's this this huge 
sequel thing and it's just a joy to be able to celebrate another James, uh, James Cameron sequel mm. um, yeah. and, and, and like you said if you know if, if we are talking kind of the staple of what James Cameron does with these sequels it's taking kind of the, the basic premise of the previous film and just enhancing everything about it and mm. I, I, I do agree with you with the, in the fact that everything that people tend to complain about when it comes to blockbusters they keep that they did have tended to kind of leave at the feet of the first film um because you know it, it is very much with box office earnings and the way people consider it at the time it is probably the easiest kind of example of a blockbuster it's the one that people kind of refer to and it's the most obvious one and and, and similar you know it happens to a lot of things where something is popular and it has an enduring popularity, eventually you do see people kind of turn on it. I don't mean to get too cynical with that. But, you know, you yeah. you do tend to see it. It happens, yeah, quite a lot. Yeah. Um, and so... Sorry, I've, just, I've completely lost my track of thought. <laughs> don't worry. And so that... What was I saying? You're saying the, the same... <laughs> I, it was a good point. That's why I'm doing this. It was a really good point. Uh, Any, anyway, cynical outlook. <laughs> anyway, so the, 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 there are these kind of traditional criticisms attached to that first film, and I do agree with you in that. It's kind of coming coming back to what you said about the about everything, everywhere, all at once, and what the director said is that you can have these layers and have them be big. Mm-hmm. And I think, with Avatar, you know, a lot of people see the, the 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 bigness, I suppose, and the kind of ambition and the fact that similar to you know, to to what I said before, it's a film that wears its heart on its sleeve. Um, mm-hmm. The first film, especially, in that there's no ambiguity as to what the film's about, the message it wants <laughs> yeah. to get through. There's, there's there's absolutely there's no losing it. <laughs> there's no there's no misinterpreting it. Um, and I think there's often there is often a bit of apprehension about having something be as direct as that, because yeah. you know people value nuance, and rightly so. You know there is a lot to value in it, but that doesn't mean that bigger, bolder messages are anything to look down on, as long yeah. as as long as everything kind of works in service to it, and. You know, James Cameron being James Cameron, I have every faith that they would. You know, he's not a yeah, man think... that he's not a man that leaves these things to chance. No, I I I deeply admire as well with the whole the whole like sequel uh, kind of doing it all at the same time. And like when I heard his reasoning behind it, it kind of stuck with me as like, oh, it's it's incredibly nice that. Uh, someone's being inspired by this franchise in the right way. And you said that um, they wanted to plan it the same way they did Lord of the Rings. Mm, yeah. Um, because basically, in the way, is a ethos behind it was if we don't write the whole story now, then we don't know where we're going. We're, mm. we're assuming we're going somewhere. And he said it's it's like having a, a roadmap um, and a clarity on what we're doing, and therefore when we're making these films. If we do something out of line, we know that it 
contradicts ourselves. Not just like plot wise, but just what we're saying with the films. Um, and it's it's wonderful that they spent literally a decade, like literally a whole decade almost, just planning these films out a five a five film series, and mm. just with that with that as well, pushing technology forward and pushing cinematic language forward really, and at the same time not just doing it for the sake of doing it but doing it for the sake of the, the message of it mm. um, which is important and relevant and really emotional because I think as well with these messages I feel like sometimes the most powerful way to get them across is is through entertainment in some way because it's almost like a trick <laughs> in a weird way <laughs> not to put it like cynically but sometimes it's it's more affecting, affecting to see a parallel world like Pandora, for example, go through the the struggles and like all that that is going on in our world to be entertained by it in an action sense and all that, mm. but also to have these parallels that when something happens, for example, like if something happens in this film, for example, that is very close to the real world and is incredibly like devastating, to honestly, dev- like literally heartbreaking to watch, and it's something that happens in our world. It's not something alien or Pandora only. It's something that happens every day in our world, and it's. It's devastating, and it, it totally gets the feeling across more than it tells you a fact about the world. It's more the feeling of what it's like to experience that. Um, and yeah, I think this film as well is also just... It's... I think the first film, similar to, again, like the first Star Wars example, is very much you learn about a character, sort of like a point-of-view character who takes you through the world, and it's very much a singular journey that has a clear beginning, middle, end. And I feel like this film... Whilst, yes, at the same time, quite simple in the sense that it's about a character going through this journey and then big beginning, middle, end. I feel like this film also has a more, a wider sort of playing field where it's, it's less of a, a one-man journey but more sort of a family journey, which means that every person in the family gets their time and whatever they do in that new area, they explore, they explore more Pandora than we've seen before and therefore meet other new characters. So therefore, it's kind of a, kind of a more societal story than it is the the one man tale of Jake Sully and his sort of transformation, and it makes it a bit more uh, a less sort of like a, a fulfillment movie sort of thing. That makes sense. Less sort of like a a superhero's kind of origin movie, and more sort of like a a genuine look at society in some ways um, by using every character that in that family to explore something different. Um, and yeah, it, is, it pulls it off extremely well. Mm. I feel like that's what's the best thing about this film is that I could talk for days about the immersion and how emotional the water sequences got me and and the way it gets its theme across. But also, in terms of like scripting, it's an incredibly well-scripted movie and very well-structured as well. Um, I would say that in terms of flaws, my only real flaw of it in terms of like story structure is that, like I said before, that first like 10 minutes or so is very much like Come on, catch up. <laughs> it's very, like it's it's literally telling you like this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened, and it's very like wow, we're just we are just going through things, aren't we? <laughs> and then the film actually starts, and it's kind of like one of those things that happens with three hour films where you get like a, a prologue almost. Um, yeah, and it it works totally, and I think like a previously on. Yeah, yeah, almost like yeah, kind of like that, and it yeah, and it and it works really well, and I feel like the villain as well is. I like the villain in the first one, but I feel like this time around he gets a much more personal goal and a personal arc, and there's a bit of depth for this, to this villain now than it wasn't there previously. Um, so everyone, every character gets a bit, a bit deeper, 
and every character gets a bit more to play with and the world gets bigger but it's never it's never just doing things for the sake of doing it if that makes sense mm. um, so yeah I can't yeah I can't emphasize how much this movie is great and like I said like I said before I feel like it will get more traction as it goes along with, with like critical feedback I feel like people are going to be like oh it is good oh it's pretty great actually <laughs> this film definitely this film definitely like it leaves the door open for sequels in a way that isn't over the top if that makes sense this is definitely a story that begins and ends but there are things there that will definitely be explored more in the future um, without spoiling anything mm. um, yeah so yeah that's my second pick and I think it's this is great it's, it's genuinely really amazing yeah. good good I can't wait to see it yeah um, hopefully can we get to your next one yeah can do um, <laughs> so I right so We've done a whole episode on Marvel <laughs> Phase Four that review, so yeah. I'm not gonna yeah. I'm not gonna dwell massively on this because I feel <laughs> like you know we 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 spent our usual length of episode going through it in, in detail, but I did still feel like you know I got to mention it and that's Multiverse of Madness. Yeah, of course. Um, <laughs> because this might be one of my well no it might not be it is it is one of my highlights of the year I think. Just in terms of a having Raimi back in a com- behind a comic book film, and that signature style, and just for being a thoroughly entertaining and well, kind of creatively satisfying film. Mm. You know, it's it's a it's a genre and it's kind of an industry that takes a lot of flack for limiting creativity in in some phases and. I don't, I, I, you know, there are, there are plenty of examples where that might be the case. But I, I personally feel like this film has a lot of personality to it and I can't help myself but be just be drawn back to it. And mm. something that, as well, I really enjoyed from it is just the way that Sam Raimi just manages to insert really heartfelt moments into this these it's kind of superhero scale stories. And I don't think it's on a similar emphasis as it is in those Spider-Man films, because it's the third time I said this is episode. But those films definitely wear their heart on their sleeve. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. it's it, it's less obvious with Multiverse of Madness. But just that balance of this big fun sometimes horrifying with with kind of the more horror elements to it uh, blockbuster film and just to have those really quieter moments that did just really get me especially kind of that dynamic between Doctor Strange and Christine and I just kind of wanted to mention this in the big year roundup because I had so much fun with this and this is one of the films I'm kind of taking with me sort of as we, as we yeah. kind of move into the next year as as kind of what I kind of want to see from Marvel going forward, especially kind of the multiverse thing, because there was a big expectation with this film, which is why some people were, weren't as excited by it, mm. in in that they're expecting these big cameos and that big kind of thing. But, you know, I, I watched the film and I thoroughly enjoyed what they did with the multiverse. And this is from someone who generally, as a general rule, is a big multiverse person. <laughs> 
You know, <laughs> yeah. I I love kind of multiverses, parallel universes, that kind of thing. Especially when they're done like this, this creatively and this kind of with this dedication to using it to really explore what makes characters work by showing them literal parallels of themselves. Yeah. And yeah, I I just wanted to get that in there with this episode, mention it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think, yeah, I totally agree with that one. So I, I also thought that was very, very exciting. More, than, more so than usual for Marvel film in the sense that it was Sam Raimi, and I think that's what really, I couldn't, I just wanted to be like, see him at the camera again, and actually see him, like, totally just allowed to do what he does best. Um, I think he did that, honestly, with this film. I think he, I think it starts off, and, you, and I remember wondering, will this get Sam Raimi? And then, as soon as that that creature gets his eye popped out by the television, <laughs> um, yeah. it's like okay, we're, we're back. And then from then on, you see all sorts of like weird camera moves and just, uh, all sorts of like fun uh, fade in, fade out great montages and all that sort of thing. And these really great horror sequences that are very like doing kind of these classic horror things that you haven't seen in a long time, but done with like a a new sort of lens in a way. Um, and then the the accent is also pretty great. I feel like that. I, I what I want from Doctor Strange really is when it comes to his accent is to have him doing some weird things that you wouldn't see in action sequences. Mm-hmm. Like I don't really want to see Doctor Strange do a punch and a kick. <laughs> <laughs> I I want to see him you know conjure up a, a demon's head to eat a car or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, I want to see that happen, and that's what happens in this film quite a few times <laughs> and the, like the music fight and all that and I think just everything they do with the undead and coming back as a zombie and dream walking and all that just really great fun uh, comic book sort of like total comic book fantasy sort of powers that get actual sequences to be really uh, shown off um, actually when I rewatched it quite recently actually just kind of in the background almost because I think it's just on Disney Plus and I thought oh, I'll do that in the background um, it's just, just like a it's just a, a bright warm but also quite dark film um, that's very very comic booky and is not ashamed at all about that um, I feel like sometimes we get comic book films that are like oh we're a comic book film but we're also a thriller like that sort of thing um, where it kind of wants to hide that it's a comic book film and whilst this film does that in the sense of the horror aspect to it, I feel like it's not ashamed of what it is. It's taught as a comic book film. It's a movie made of images that are meant to be conjured of the most like fantastical, you know, dramatic pauses and all that sort mm-hmm. of thing. Um, and it does that pretty well throughout the entire thing. Um, I, I do think the script needs a bit of work in yeah. terms of just like yeah. I feel like it gets a bit like a bit a bit lost. Not like lost lost, but like I feel like I'd like a redraft that kind of goes a bit more into the 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 girlfriend kind of dynamic with uh, Doctor Strange and I'm forgetting her name <laughs> Christine. There we go. Mm-hmm. Uh, there we go. Um, yeah, so I feel like it's a return to form for Sam Raimi in terms of being behind the camera. A return to form for Marvel in some ways, as well, because I just found it for me the most kind of just crazy, creatively satisfying film of that phase. Um, yeah, I totally agree. I think I had like the most fun out of this bit watching that film, uh, definitely. Mm. Yeah, I think, yeah, 
sums it up well. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm not kind of blind to to what you say. I I do agree. There are there are moments where it kind of loses itself a little bit. Um, and it it's a film that doesn't let you breathe. And I I think you know I I understand why that's a compliment. Uh, not a compliment, a criticism for some people. Personally, I really enjoyed that fact about it. But mm. I understand why people kind of raise it as a concern on the script. But yeah, it's yeah. it's a Marvel film that absolutely it it's high on the ranking and you know it's a franchise that has about 30 films in it now <laughs> or films or tv shows <laughs> in it now but yeah tv shows yeah um <laughs> so yeah would you like to to move on to your your third pick mm-hmm. i'm thinking just because looking at the time now mm-hmm. <laughs> i just realized how long we're going <laughs> um that should i do this as like my final one and then from now on it's more kind of like a list off the last few yeah we can do we can do it that way yeah that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think my third pick is going for the TV sort of realm, and I'm going to pick out why. Yeah, I think it was my TV highlight this year, mm-hmm. which was Better Call Saul yeah. season six. Yeah, season six, mm-hmm. um, the final season, and just a season of TV where every episode just got better and better, and the the finale just was the best thing ever. I and I think what got me about it was. Seeing um, a creative talent like Vince Gilligan kind of evolve to the point where I feel like he's at his best self with the series and at his most refined and yeah. just great. Like I love, I love Breaking Bad, and I will always love it. But I feel like sometimes when I look back on it now, watching this this series and especially the later season of this series, it feels like watching an unfinished article with the the writing, I guess almost where it's engaging and amazing and near perfect but it's not quite perfect perfect <laughs> uh, as it gets uh, and it's kind of strange to have that opinion of this is a, a beloved and amazing show but yeah, I feel like this season TV and this Better Call Saul in general just nails it and just every scene feels like it has its point and it has its meaning and its layers and it gets it across almost visually every time visually almost Visually, almost every time, and does that so well with objects and with lighting and with the set design. And when the characters are saying how they're feeling, it's always so like perfectly acted um, by both uh, mm-hmm. by both actors. Like I'll say that the main actors of Kim Wexley and Better Call Saul, Saul Goodman, um, just it just gets better and better. And I feel like what's well, I feel like what Vince Gilligan gets about having a finale, and I feel like it's very much the same thing of Breaking Bad, is that he ends the show in the way that we all expect in some fashion, in near the beginning or middle of the last season, with the big sort of, the conflicts get to the highest point, and everything comes together, and people die, and people, you know, there's all sorts of, like, mayhem going on. Mm-hmm. Um, but then he kind of lets the last few episodes, or even half the season in this case, be the epilogue, like the real ending. Um, so I feel like what's so brilliant about the structure of this season is that it begins, it comes to a head plot-wise near the middle, and then it continues on for the rest of it um, in very much an epilogue style, mm. ten years later kind of thing. And it works so well and tells you so much about the characters and where they're at and how they transformed over those seasons of TV. And... It's also just fitting that I just love the idea that the prequel show ends on a note that's in f- the furthest in time after Breaking Bad. Yeah. I think that's just quite a 
it's a very good idea, I think, to have that sort of be the ending of the entire universe, I guess mm. we're calling it. Um, and I think it's just a, it just worked for me every episode. And I think it got better directed every season as well. Um, and I think every character gets their, gets both their arc and both moments of shine that really stand out as their best work in the entire show, both this and Breaking Bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah. I and I kind of whenever I hear someone talk about this show that hasn't seen it or has started watching it and dropped off early on, I kind of like I feel less sort of kind of like ah oh, but please stick with it because it's like it's like Breaking Bad on steroids. <laughs> like it's, it's it's it somehow gets better in a different way, um, and it just it, yeah it works for me. I love the character Jimmy Jimmy McGill also Goodman. Um, I love that character so much, and he just transforms and evolves and devolves and all sorts in the show <laughs> and just does such a good job of and the the actor Bob Odenkirk is just a perfect perfect casting um, just nails it and his voice in that role and whenever he starts breaking up emotionally it really like quite hits home um, to see him kind of be emotional and to see him kind of not a spoiler but as he, the show goes on um, to tell just kind of see as the show goes on that um him kind of hiding behind the persona of Saul Goodman as we see in Breaking Bad. Um, that becoming... I mean, I think the best thing it does is it's not satisfying to watch him become Saul Goodman. It's terrifying and horrifying and kind of a tragedy happening in real time. Um, to the point where it's kind of... When you when you heard the concept of the show and what it was going to be, you expected it to be kind of like this. Oh, the finale will be him becoming Saul Goodman and he'll meet Walter White and that'll be it and it'll be kind of this like dovetail sort of thing where they both meet and to have it instead be this kind of a very sad and very it's actually a, a wordless dialogue less scene where he becomes Saul Goodman midway through the show mm-hmm. midway through the season and then it's depressing and not at all satisfying to watch in the best way possible really and then the show continues on after that is surprising and just just perfect and it works so well and it's I think what it does best with the finale is it just kind of minimizes the story to its its fundamentals and says what it needs to say in the one hour and does it extremely mm. well and and it really also also just lets Bob Odenkirk just kill it. He like I think in that final episode Bob Bob, Bob Odenkirk just gets the most time to shine and has most control over the scenes in a weird way. Um and yeah, it's just I couldn't really get over it for a long time. I still really yeah. can't and I think it's I will forever sing its praises and tell everyone to watch it. <laughs> um, yeah, totally, it's a highlight of this year for me. Hmm. I am. Um, I think I'm through the first two seasons of it. I think. Right. And again, yeah. I'm one of those people that's kind of kind of dropped off it. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's good. I think it's very good. I just kind of. I just kind of haven't continued. <laughs> I know, yeah, I know what you mean. I have so many shows that I think are great that I just never got back to for some reason. <laughs> mm. And I I desperately want to watch it because, you know, I've always got that in my head of when Breaking Bad was good, it was good. <laughs> like, it was yeah, really yeah. good. It's amazing. Um, and I think there have been a lot of glimmers of that in this, you know, in, in this series. Um, particularly, for me, the stage I'm up to now the scene where um, 
They're in the courtroom with Gus, and he plants the phone in his pocket. Oh, like, yeah. That whole yeah. episode was very much, okay, yeah. <laughs> um, and so it's, it's, it's a show that I'm desperate to continue. <laughs> yeah, I hope he does. Uh, yeah, like I said, it's because it starts out. It starts out great. It doesn't, you know, start out bad, but it just gets better and better somehow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it's one of the few shows I can think of where I think every season is an improvement of the last one. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and it just gets better and better. And the finale just totally is, is just the most depressing and satisfying thing in in like a weird mix of ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that just sums up the writer and the writers and everything. It's just a mixture of so many emotions that feels like right yeah like it should be this way yeah um yeah just nails it totally mm-hmm. yeah yeah um so is is that kind of the end of our kind of main main ones so you mentioned having ones to um, ones the honorable mention yeah, type things so. or other other things yeah i think so i think just because i'm looking at the time i think these kind of make sense for me for to be the main one unless mm. you want to do another kind of main one yeah um i have more more but uh i can just kind of go through them i guess mm-hmm. um yeah um quickly. yeah cause I, I, yeah I, I have a few similar ones as well just yeah it, sorry you want to get through yours <laughs> no, you, no you can go first <laughs> oh, sorry okay, yeah okay. <laughs> <laughs> um just uh yeah quickly mention mm-hmm. i think i've talked about before but top and maverick mm-hmm. uh I expected quite a lot from it, but I wasn't expecting it to be like this much of a hit. I think like, that surprised me the most. It became like a hit. Yeah. Like people beyond the core audience that loved the first one loved this one, mm-hmm. and I think it just totally just it takes the first film and makes it better and perfects it honestly. Um, and then obviously we have the Batman, uh, which came out this year, mm-hmm. which again feels like so so long, so long ago. Um, uh, kind of a really like a, an almost perfect kind of just comic book film and a perfect kind of return to kind of the old DC ways of 2005, 2008, 2012 the the Nolan films where it feels like a a director doing his take and that's it Mm -hmm. like it is back to basics and it works very well for me Um, I also loved and it's going to come out again soon on Netflix but I saw it in the cinema, uh, The Glass Onion Mm -hmm. and Nine's Heart Mystery Uh, it's a very weird sequel in the sense that it's I described it to a friend actually recently as the Temple of Doom of the franchise <laughs> in the sense that it's, it's, it's weird. I wouldn't say it's as good as the first one, but I would say that it's great still. I like quite, it's like, again, the same thing like before I said, like it's a hair's width kind of thing of like, mm. on any day I, I could change my mind on it and be like, oh, it's better than the first one. But this one is, it's great. And it's Ryan Johnson, Ryan Johnson doing, doing what he does best. Mm. And it's more comedic, but not in like a, an over the top way. Um, and they get to schemes across that are similar but different than the first one um, in a very engaging way. I, I loved it, yeah. And I very oh, and I very recently got around to seeing uh, Jordan Peele's Nope, oh, yeah. um, which was really good. And I loved it so much. It was kind of like a... It reminded me a lot of like Close Encounters and Signs um, and all these films that kind of, you know, inspired by Spielberg's kind of original aliens kind of come to earth mm-hmm. sort of ideas. And I feel inspired by that, but also a bit more juicy, kind of thematically, I kind of put in my head. Like, yeah. it just feels like it's got a bit more on its mind. And it's a bit more, at least way more into horror, of course, because it's Jordan Peele. And it, yeah, it works very, very well. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like, 
I want to mention, but I didn't love it as kind of want to mention it as kind of like maybe maybe this is better than I thought, but I can't tell yet on the second view. I need to see. I need to see it a second time. I think. Um, I saw Bones and All, which is a oh yeah a strange film, yeah. uh, a strange one. Uh, you don't know what, what it's about. I don't want to spoil it, but it is strange and it's weird. And I don't know if I actually liked it or not, but I want to see it again. And that's why I said it <laughs> I guess that's good. Um, yeah, I guess. Oh uh, yeah, and the TV side of things, I if you haven't seen the TV show uh, Barry, um, yes, has a third season that came out this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and it just, I feel like it's one of those shows again where every season gets better, and this season was just great. And I think it nailed what it was going for. Um, I think it was. I didn't think it was going to be as, sh- as short as it was. I think it was only like. Episode, I think, um, and it just yeah, it's totally nailed what it was trying to go for, mm-hmm. and did really really well. Kind of became a bit smaller and a bit more character focused, and a bit both funnier and darker again. Uh, I think it's a running theme with this TV show where it, it gets weirdly more funny the darker it gets. Um, and yeah, I just I love the character of Barry and how he's just a sociopath, but also very likable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And I like that it kind of ends on a note that's very much like this could be the you know the consequences of everything that he's done, and he's done, he's done a lot in this he's, this show, um, a lot of bad things, a lot of weird things, and sometimes some good things, um, but somehow he's, he's still quite a likable guy. I think that's probably the Bill Hader effect on that character. Um, but yeah, I love that show, and I think that's my final pick for this sort of run through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, some very good picks. Um, yeah, so yeah, some of the kind of the last few picks that I, I would have kind of gone for, they're not, they're not ones that I, you know, I had an awful lot to talk about because I'm just disappointed with myself for how little I've watched this year. It's actually new. <laughs> yeah. um, but kind of in terms of films, uh, not too long ago I watched the uh, Belfast, the Kenneth Branagh film, which technically is 2022 because of the UK release date. Oh, being in January, okay. <laughs> but yeah, I really kind of enjoyed that film, and it was a kind of a very kind of accessible film for for a lot of people, very very personal, and yeah, I think I think I mean I I go as far as classing it as kind of a highlight. Um, yeah. of course, you know I feel like I should mention Andor. I feel like it's been a, a bit of a strange Star Wars show, um, and to say it's kind of <laughs> Star Wars's main output for the year. Um, yeah. I think it's, it feels kind of unusual, but I've nonetheless really enjoyed it. It's something a little bit different, and kind of the input of somebody who isn't necessarily a huge Star Wars fan has been has been largely positive, and I think it's an example of how it can work, um, yeah. and kind of helps illustrate, kind of combined with what we've said about the importance of having people who are fans on board, it kind of illustrates the importance of kind of maintaining a balance and that there is room for both. And yeah, I kind of really enjoyed that. Um, and other one, kind of the surprise package for me this year, considering I've you still yet to see Game of Thrones, has been House of the Dragon, <laughs> which has behaved more like a phoenix than a dragon. <laughs> right. <laughs> and it's kind of come from the ashes of of what people thought of the final season of Game of Thrones. And yeah, I've really enjoyed House of yeah. Dragon, and can't believe it's two years to wait for the next series, but. Since we're old people now, that will, that, that'll fly by. Wow. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think th- those are kind of my auxiliary options that I really feel like are, are kind of worth mentioning 
um, from the mm. year, and you know they're highlights, and they're also things that you know give us plenty to think about going into the new year. Mm. Um, where I'm sure we'll do our our customary what to look forward to in the new year before everything changes, because that's just <laughs> the, the way things work. Again. Yep. <laughs> But yeah, I think uh, yeah. those 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 are kind of our big discussion points. Yeah, I think yeah. I think um, yeah, is, is is there anything else you want to add? Yeah, I think I think that's kind of it for me. I think, but I think for anyone listening that might have not got around to some of these TV shows, or some of these films, I think it's very mm-hmm. much a good list to kind of catch up on more. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. Year, and kind of the, the good stuff really. I think it's been a, a year of good stuff for the most part. Mm-hmm. I kind of struggle to think about one big like disappointment that happened mm-hmm. in terms of like films. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think this has been a pretty great year and for films and TV, and I think it's kind of promising that kind of the, the developments that are happening are quite. Uh, I don't worry about them in the future. If that makes sense. Like I don't. Sometimes you have like some sort of like a really great film that comes out that might start a trend that might be quite bad, um, but with these films, I kind of it just feels like we're getting back on track to just making good films for the sake of doing good films mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and it's felt like it's been a while since that age yeah <laughs> um, so yeah it's been a good year because uh, of that and yeah so let's wrap up now yeah you can uh, do yeah yeah so I think yeah if you want to follow us on Instagram we've got Marvelous in a podcast uh, we're doing posts like this one and probably reviews of after our way of water and lists and probably some Christmas things coming up um, yeah so hope you enjoyed that Give us a like, give us a follow if you can. Um, and also let us know what you think about this podcast and anything you might agree or disagree with in the comments or on any platform you're listening to us on. Um, yeah, so I guess that's it mm-hmm. for not this year, but you know, the, you know, our roundup of this year. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I know we said it last week, but happy Christmas. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> happy Christmas again. Mm-hmm. Happy holidays, happy Christmas, and everything. Happy New Year as well. Um, and have a good one. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for listening. See you later. Bye. Goodbye.